Well, thank you. If you've travelled to be here today, thank you so much for coming. Welcome to Sheffield. We, th- we think it is the best place in the UK. <laughs> I'm hanging here, so guy. We think it's the best place in the UK. Thank you, that's better. And um, it's, it's great, it's great that you're with us. And I just want to honour uh, Ben and the team that did the, the Kids Bible Club this week. It was amazing. And I dropped my son off, he's eight, and I came, I bought my dog as well as my son. We have a yellow Labrador, she's 18 months old called Mabel, and she's very lively, always looking for dog walkers. We have a lot of people that do one dog walk, don't return, because she's so lively. And as I walked into the, I thought, wow, the, the, the building in here looked really amazing. The guys had done such a creative job. But I got the dog, and I thought, well, I can't take the dog in. So someone on our team said, well, I'll hold your dog. So she held the dog, and I came in. We've got some concertina doors, and they were closed. So I was, I was peering through the doors, and I, saw, and I was looking inside, I think, this is amazing. And then I heard my name shouting, and it wasn't, you know, people shout your name, and it's not a good shout. <laughs> you know there's an urgency in their tone. And I turned around, and the dog had slipped her collar, and she loves children. <laughs> and she loves people, and she is sprinting straight for the kids' club. And so... I, I, I wrestled her to the ground, and it was really embarrassing. So we left, because I thought, you know, in this day and age, that's a lot of paperwork, isn't it? <laughs> a random dog jumping on small kids, that's a lot of paperwork. Probably means I'd have to find another job. It's just so... We just left, so those guys did amazingly well. And um, if you, what, who, who is the church? We, we believe um, our, our vision statement is to be a church of these for the city. And at the moment, what that means is we've been sending out teams, people are part of our church who feel called to live in a different part of the city of Sheffield. So Sam has talked about all nations. That's a group of people who have been were part of our church for a long time who wanted to make home in an area of Sheffield called Fervale. And so they planted a church. And a bit like an embassy, we think that when God's people gather, it's an embassy, a place of his presence. And so we've done that in Fervale, and a couple of weeks ago we did that in another part of the city called Stannington. And so that's our heart as a church, is to send out teams to different places in, in our city because we think that's one way that we can play our parts in serving Jesus in our city. And so I want to. Uh, next week we're thinking about vision for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. But right now we're just going to read. I'm going to read to us a very famous passage from the Bible that, that some of us hopefully will have heard. If not, I'm going to read to it again. It's from Luke chapter 15, from verses 11. And in my Bible, it's called the parable of the lost son. It's sometimes known as the parable of the running father. So I'm going to read this to us now. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. But you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Hands up if you drive. Okay, keep your hands up if you drive on the motorway. Okay, that's pretty much everyone. The reason I ask is that my mother used to drive and she always avoided the motorways. Didn't trust motorways. Journeys took forever, they really did. So, okay, let me ask you a question. So, if you've ever been driving on the motorway and you've looked in your rearview mirror and there is a car about a few feet away. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah? Okay, let me ask you another question. Was that car an Audi? <laughs> Come on. Who's experienced an Audi driving very close to them? Yeah? Yeah? What was that, brother? You, you, Range Rover. All right. Easy. Uh, well, he's got a Range Rover, so sort it out at the end, guys, all right? <laughs> Alan and I will never drive like that. Okay, hands up if you've got an Audi. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But you, you know, like, if you're driving along, you've got your, if you've got cruise control, if you've got the money, you set, you set it to 70. But for the fuel economy alone, folks. And then all of a sudden, you look in your rearview mirror, and there is somebody right behind you, and they're just trying to get past you, and you've got to pull over. And then they fly past you, and you think, where are the police? 
They never, it's never like traffic cops in real life, is it? Like, they, they fly past you and you just think, how did they get away with it? Like, how can they just speed past you and just seem to drive as if they don't care, like they own the roads? Oh, they make me so mad, Audi drivers. But if you're here and you've got an Audi, we just want to say you're very welcome, okay? <laughs> and if, you, if you're an Audi driver and you'd like to give money to us, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm joking. But, you know, there are some people, aren't there, they just seem to flout the rules. You know, those people that they, they, they just live as if they're just the center of their own world. You know, you know people like that. Come on, I mean, you may be sat next to somebody, you can't really say that, yeah, it's them, it's awkward. But we, we know we're, every family's got them, or, you, you, know, you, you know, they're on the WhatsApp group, and they're just, oh, gosh, they're talking about themselves, or somebody, a work colleague who just does their thing, or there is always somebody, somebody we know who just lives for themselves. You know somebody like that? Jesus tells us a story, and it's about three characters. And Jesus is speaking to primarily what we call an agrarian economy. So they, they're people who work with their hands. They're, they're work in the fields. And it's a funny story. So Jesus was really funny. People don't often think that. I think he was very serious and just went around and did very serious things. But actually, he's known for his humor. So he starts off with a story. There was a man who had two sons, and people think, oh, he's telling a joke. Man who had two sons, yeah, 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 whatever. And then he starts off by saying, but the youngest son, and they're like, oh, we know where this is going, because if you're the youngest, hands up if you, you, you're one of two and you're the youngest, raise it, yeah? Okay, so, yeah, is that you, you Ben? Are you the younger brother? Stand up, Ben, so everybody can see. <laughs> Stand up, Ben, no, come on, Ben. There you go. Do you, do, you, do you know, folks, it makes sense, don't you think? I've got to tell you, when, when, when we, had our kind of, we had a church weekend last year, and there was a moment where people were dancing, there was one guy who was dancing right in the middle of everybody. The room split apart, but he carried on. Ben Humphrey. It's, it's all over YouTube, folks, I tell you now. The guy's, a, the guy's a sensation, he really is. So Jesus tells a story, and he says, there's a, young, a, younger, a younger brother, and everyone goes, they roll their eyes because they know how the story's going to go. The younger brother. He's the life and soul of the party. But they're listening to him. But this story is a kind of funny story because what, what happens is, is he says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Okay, let's just, just, let's just pause. Let's just do a deep dive on that for a, mo a moment. So, so we are talking about an, an, an ancient culture where, which is based on honor, shame. Okay, what does that mean? We live in an individualized world where we make our own choices. Like most of us, we hit a certain age, we don't generally live with our parents. Like we live as individuals. We don't live in a way that brings... So I don't often think... What, how I act, how that's going to reflect on Michael Finnemore. Because no one knows really Michael Finnemore here. He's a, a man with less hair than me that lives in the West Midlands. Why would you think about him? But in the ancient world, you always lived to bring respect to your family and particularly to your father. So you never lived as an individual. It's not like you go to university or you get your job and you get your pay packet, your party. You didn't do that in this world. 
Your primary way of life was always, how do I respect my elders? How do I bring, live in such a way that brings respect and honor to my family? So this, you can imagine, like you're listening to the story. And then this guy, Jesus says, goes to his father and says, give me my share of the estate. Now this guy is a wealthy man. And so the younger brother knows that when the father dies, he's going to get money. He's not going to get all the money. He's probably going to get one-third. The two-thirds are probably going to go to his older brother. But he knows he's got a nest egg coming to him. So he just needs to sit it out. He needs to do, hang out with the family. He needs to get involved in the family business because he has got some serious dollar coming his way. But what he does is he says the unspeakable, most unimaginable thing, and he says... I want my money now. And really, in this time and in that culture, that is tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want your stuff. So people listen to this story that Jesus is saying, and they're like, well, this family is seriously dysfunctional. Now, what you would expect in this culture and at this time is if you say that to the Father, he would give you such a beating within an inch of your life. You would never dishonor him like that again. In fact, in some places, they would either, the Father could have the right to take his life to show that level of disrespect. But Jesus' story says this. So he divided his property between them. Okay, you, this is like, this is off the scale now. People listening to this be like, this is weird. And then it says this, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He's got a lot of money now. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, we don't know what he did. We can just imagine. But what we do know at the end is the, his, his brother says he's been spending it on prostitutes. So, you know, it doesn't leave too much to the imagination. Let's put it like, he's had a good time. He has had a very good time, and he's got a lot of money, so no doubt he has amassed a lot of people around him. He has created his own life. He's done his own thing. I mean, he is living his best life. He is having a great, great time. And then it says this, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So here's the thing. He has gone to his father and said, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. He's got the stuff. Maybe he bought an Audi. And of course he dumps a joke. But he has pursued his own dream. He's pursued his own life. He has redefined for him what happiness and fulfillment looks like. And for him, what happiness and fulfillment looks like is getting away from his father, getting away from all the religion, getting away from that household and pursuing his own life. He has lived for himself. And by the time we get to this, Jesus tells us that he has spent everything and whatever business ventures he's got into, because he has a huge amount of money, a famine hits and he's essentially bankrupt. Comes to the end of himself. So he went and hired himself out, Jesus tells us, to a citizen of that country who sent him in the fields to feed the pigs. So he's gone there with money and wealth. And because he's got money and wealth, he has prestige, he has power, and it has all eviscerated. There is nothing left. And he is a long, long way from home. 
the only job he can get is to work as a hired hand feeding pigs. So what? Here's the thing. This guy is Jewish. And pigs and Jews, they don't mix. Because pigs are seen as unclean. And this guy is now feeding them and it makes him unclean in the eyes of his religion. It is an image of how far he has fallen. How far the apple has fallen from the tree. And you know it says in verse 16, he says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He's starving. He has no way of fixing this situation. It has come to the end of himself. When I was at primary school, <laughs> there used to be in, the, in our in our. In our, where, in our hall where we had assemblies, you know those little tables that you sit in at primary school? And there was a massive metal bowl. It was just enormous. Well, it was when I was like eight. And any food that you didn't eat, any of the school meals used to go into this big bowl. And it, and it was like a mountain of food because the food was terrible in my primary school. And it lit, I kid you not, it got sent to a pig farm. I thought, even the primary school, I, I don't know where the pigs ate it. Maybe they did, maybe they, I don't know, it was terrible. And it just goes to show how far this guy who's had everything, how life has just not worked out for him. No one's given him anything. He's not able to claim asylum. He's not able to claim charity. He's not able to claim, because he doesn't know anybody. He's in a foreign land. He's not home. He's stuck without status. And then he says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my... Father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, and set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And here's the thing. Fragility fosters dependence on God. Fragility fosters dependence on God. There's a moment, the Bible says he comes to his senses. His father is wealthy. And in his own poverty and his own bankruptcy, he's thinking, I could die or I could go home and I could just get a job as a slave and I'd be better than the situation I am in. Life has not worked out. Life has gone spectacularly wrong for him. And there is a fragility of his situation, which means his internal journey, which has been about self-fulfillment, finding joy, finding entertainment, which has just not worked out for him, means he has to go back home. Not going back home as a son, going back home as a slave. And then Jesus goes on to tell this story. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So, you know, imagine people listening to this story now. They're thinking, this family is totally screwed up. It's crazy. Strange noise, sorry. Won't touch it again. Now we know that the father, by rights, could have beaten him into submission. 
but he releases him to live the life that he wants. And as he comes home, it says, the father saw him. So I imagine maybe the dad was, dad was like this, looking out. Maybe every day, hoping, praying, longing that somehow his beloved son would come home. And then maybe, we don't know, but, but maybe he sees him in the distance and he's walking and he's disheveled and, and he's emaciated. And he, and he sees him. And what the Bible says is that, that men, particularly like wealthy men, men of status, would um, have a robe. And, and what he did is he lifted up his robe and he ran. And, and you would never show your legs. You know, like, you, know you sometimes see middle-aged men who are runners and you see their legs and you wish to heaven that you didn't. You know, where they're wearing lycra. Oh, come on. You, know, you just don't want to see it. And in that culture, you wouldn't show your legs. But here's the thing. He so, he so loves his boy that he, that he foregoes all social convention, that he foregoes all of the cultural embarrassment, lifts up his robe, and he runs almost like Usain Bolt with such determination and love that he grabs his boy, the one that he could have beaten into submission. He embraces with the most, in fact, in, in the original Greek, it says he like falls on his neck. He just embraces him and hugs him and weeps him, weeps with him. And the son, the son's got, he's got this little talk that he's prepared, and, and he and he wants to say, and he, it's as if he can't get his words out. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's that moment where he says, God. I've gone my own way. That's how Christians understand this, this really intense word, sin. It just means I've gone, I've chosen my own way. And it hasn't worked out. And, and I've brought dishonor on you and I've dishonored God. And life is, life, is, life is a mess. And I'm not, and this is what he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I've broken our relationship. I've, I've broken the bond of sonship. I... I can't call you dad anymore. It's, I have messed it up so badly. And, and actually, what Jesus goes on to say, it describes the nature of the father. And the father says to his servants, like he's, he's, he's a man of means. So as you can imagine, like clicking his fingers, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What's going on there? It's, it's like his son comes back disheveled and broken and hurting and lost. And the father puts a robe on him. What's the best robe? The robe is the father's robe. And what that means is every time the son, who's now disheveled and broken, walks with the father's robe, when the people see him, they see the father. And then he says, okay, give him a ring. Do you know, that's like saying, here, our son, here's my credit card. You wouldn't give this guy a credit card, would you? In fact, it's like the debit card. He says, you can, you can spend, because it has, on the, has a signet on the ring, and, it, and it, so it means, it, you know, like we have chip and pin, beep, beep. Now it means that he can go anywhere and say, I, he's my dad, and I've got his ring, so I can pay for that. It's crazy. And then the boy has returned home with nothing on his feet, so the father puts sandals on him. Sandals are the sign of sonship. It is a picture of restoration. It is a picture of forgiveness. 
It is a picture of grace. It is a picture of mercy. And what Jesus is saying to the people listening in, because in the crowd are these guys who are listening, and, and they're probably like farm workers. They're, you know, they're loving some of Jesus' jokes. They're just ordinary people living in rural Palestine. But in among them are the religious people, the vicars, the people who wear those stuff. And Jesus is beginning to speak to them. And I imagine as they're listening, they're feeling a little uncomfortable now because he's saying, you know, this is what God is like. That's what we believe. Today as we welcome Fred and Martha, we welcome into to the arms of a God who loves them, who loves us. And wag his finger like some cosmic head teacher. You're always late. I've seen you, attainment is poor. I know we've got some teachers in the house, you know, just working out my own angst and issues from school here, folks. Better than therapy, it really is. But somehow you don't measure up, and why would God want... And, it, and Jesus is beginning to say, you know, this is what he's like. This is God. This is who Jesus has come to show and to represent. And then they say, get the big fat. So he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, I feel for the fattened calf because it's just doing its thing out in the field. And you can imagine it's just getting big. And the fattened calf will be slaughtered for a wedding or some really big celebration. So you can imagine, that's that's not really a fattened calf sound. Anyway, I won't, that's not more of a distressed horse. Anyway, that's not going to work. But you can imagine it being kind of tied up and pulled in and it's like, right, who wants burgers? Because there's a lot of burgers. And you can almost smell, can't you, that the, 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 the charcoal's going, the fire's going, and we're ready to have this barbecue. Because Jesus is beginning to describe when somebody's welcomed home, there is an amazing party, there is a joy, there's a celebration. There's a celebration in heaven, the Bible says, where one person recognises their own spiritual bankruptcy, recognises we cannot live this life alone, we cannot do this by ourselves, that we need Jesus in our lives who forgives us, who embraces us. And it says there is a party in heaven. It's this amazing picture of the kingdom of God. And so you can imagine that, that the music begins to play and that the, the boy, you can imagine the neighbours would just come just to be nosy, to think this family is so dysfunctional. I mean, like... But hey, there's free food, and you can imagine the boy who has been so far gone, who's trashed everything, who's defiled himself, and he's rocking it out on the dance floor. Younger brother, very much on YouTube. I, I, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see how it's done, check it out on St. Thomas Crooks. You'll, you'll find it. Ben Humphrey giving and showing us how it's done. And he's partying, and you can imagine like the music going and the smell of the fat calf. Feel free, I really do. Been made in the burgers. Oh, amazing, amazing. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of grace, of, of, of Jesus telling of the Father who loves you. But there's one more person in the story. And that's the older brother. Now, I feel for the older brother. Because you can imagine, like, he's working hard. He's grafting. Let me translate that for you, because I know some of you have come to Tunbridge Wells. Grafting. He's a hard worker, this guy. So you can imagine, he's coming back, and it's obviously, this guy's wealthy, so there's a, a, a lot of land. And it, oh, it smells like barbecue. You know the summer? Barbecue? Oh, beautiful. Oh, 
barbecue. What's the noise? I can hear music, I can hear partying. And what's going on? And he says, well, what's going on? And they say, oh, your brother's come home. Isn't it amazing? And you know, he is livid. He's so angry. He's so angry. This is what he says. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat calf for him. So you get to the nub of the issue right there that he's been squandering. He says, I've been slaving for you. The, you. the other one has wasted all the money. He's spent the money on prostitutes. And you've killed the... He's like, so you, and you have saved the best for him? What the heck is wrong with you? This guy drives at 90 miles an hour on the M1. Nothing happens to him. There's no justice. And he's livid. I love the story of the prodigal son or the running father because I am the older brother. In fact, I'm an only child. But if I had to choose one of the brothers and I look back on my own life, I am the older brother. Let me tell you what's the mindset of the older brother. They don't put a foot wrong. And they're often very religious. And what happens is, is that you can become like the older brother very easily. And what happens is you start to keep a record of all the stuff that you do and you start thinking, I am a good person. Let me tell you why I'm a good person. I give a bit to food bank. I give a bit of money here. I'm not like those other people. They're the bad people. But I'm a good person. I haven't done bad stuff. I mean, I've you know, maybe borrowed a few things from work. But I've not ripped off HMRC. You know, I'm not like these people. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person within the confines of my own life. I live a good life. And what happens is, for, 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 for when you develop, become like the older brother, you only realize you've become the older brother when you acknowledge and realize and see your own anger. For me, 20 odd years ago, I, I had a job, I worked in Knightsbridge in London, in that there London. And I work with some really amazingly gifted people. Now, I'm from Warsaw in the West Midlands. Hey, thank you. I know there are some people here from the East Midlands, but I'm from the West Midlands, the proper Midlands. <laughs> oh, steady now, steady. I feel the temperature dropping. So I used to think, well, I'm a bit better than them because they're all posh and public school, and I am from the West Midlands. And then I saw other people um, in the place that I worked getting promotions ahead of me. And you know what? I didn't think, oh, fantastic, you've got promotion. I was like, you, do you not see how hard I work? I'm being overlooked because I'm from the West Midlands. And you're getting a promotion because you went to the right school with that person and you know that person. And oh, I was so angry. But in my anger, I was justified. I was right. So I nursed that anger, and I nursed that anger because I was right, and they were wrong. 
And you know, we can live like that. Especially if somebody's done something to us. We can nurture nurse it and grow in it. And start to think, well, God, you love me a bit more because I do all these things. God, don't you know how much I've done for you? Don't you know what I do for you on a daily basis, God? And why are they getting it and I'm not getting it? Probably can't relate to it. But it's in all of us, if we're honest. And this is what the Father says. He says, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And here's the thing. The older brother was so locked in his own self-righteousness that he missed the point of the party. And the point of the party for him was as the older brother, it was his job as soon as the younger brother went missing, it was his job to go out and find him and bring him home. It was his job to stand in the kind of, imagine like a marquee or an ancient marquee, and as people are serving the best burgers, he was the one at the end of the line to serve the meat. He was there to represent the father. He is, what Jesus is describing, say, I am the true older brother. I am the one who comes to seek and rescue and welcome everybody who is far from God. I'm the one who's going to welcome them home. But here's the thing. The older brother was locked in his religious mindset. Even though he lived under the same roof as the father he lived like an orphan and a slave even though they shared the same house in fact he can't even refer to his brother as his brother he's so angry and yet he so dishonors his father both boys are gone but one looks the part one knows he's not the part one thinks he's the part One knows he definitely isn't the part, comes back with grace and humility, seeking forgiveness. One is driven by anger and an orphan heart. And yet the father goes out to both of them and to tell them that they are loved. Why do I say all that today? For two reasons. Firstly, when we baptize infants, we are both an Anglican church, which baptize babies, and we're a Baptist church, that don't. But here's the thing. One of the foundations of Anglican theology, what we think about God, is it is God who initiates grace. That we don't earn it. That we receive it. And so today, Martha and Fred are starting a journey where they are the recipients. Others have said on their behalf, they we raised in the faith of Jesus. And our job is to pray for them to demonstrate what it looks like to live a life of faith. All the failings and stuff, we get it wrong. But to know that they are included in God's family. That God's love and kindness extends to them, even as actually Fred, he's he's quite a big lad. I can feel the 
slight strain in my arm, but there you go, that, that he, they receive on the recipients of God's grace. And the second thing is, folks, is as our church embarks on a new journey, it is important to us that we don't rest on reputation, that we don't rest on our history, but in this next season that the Lord calls us back to a place where we recognize that we can call our Father in heaven, Abba, Daddy. That we are his children. And for us to do all the things that perhaps the Lord is calling us to do, we need to know who we are. And that means for the prodigals to come home, to know grace, to love and forgiveness, to know the welcome and the inclusion of the grace of Jesus, and to the older brothers like me, to come home, to know the inclusion and the grace and the welcome of Jesus. Let's stand together. I invite the band to come and join me. And this is what we're going to do. We would love to pray for anybody. One of the things that we do, and one of our values is in our churches, is that we just we believe we're a family. And so what that means is we'd love to pray with anyone here. And essentially that means, as, as the guys lead us in this next song, just if you come forward, I know it's a little awkward, but we'd love Heather, I'm going to invite Heather and some of the prayer teams to come forward now. And what that means is that when you come forward, we'd just love to pray with you. It might be that you relate to that. You think, Lord, I just want to come home. Life's just been, it's been of a challenge of late. And I just feel it's time to return back to the Lord. I just want to come back to Jesus. Or it might be a sense of you feel you can identify with the younger brother and you want to love someone to pray with you. Or it might be you can identify with the older brother and you love someone to pray with you. So Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you will come in power. Holy Spirit, come. Release your presence. We might encounter you now, afresh in Jesus' name. Amen.